0: And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. All right, good morning to all who are worshiping with us here in person and online. We're so glad. That you're with us, um, I'm Chip Friedley, teaching pastor here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, and want to share a very, very, very happy Mother's Day. Um, now, I, I want to confess, Mother's Day for preachers can be a little tenuous. It can be a little frightening. Um, there's so many emotions that are wrapped up around Mother's Day, and I get that. It can be uh, days of joy. Some of you were raised by a uh, June Cleaver of Leave It to Beaver. Um, many most of you don't know who June Cleaver is uh, maybe you were raised by Martha Stewart uh, mom before she went to prison um, <coughs> but you had a mom who was perfect right or at least perfect for you and that's great and today's a day to celebrate some didn't have that mom but but somebody had uh, another figure step in and, and provide that kind of maternal direction um, some some have lost their moms very very recently I, I was in conversation with a friend of mine um, from this church just a couple of weeks ago who lost his mom recently, and today was gonna be a, a day of pain. We've had moms here who have lost children, and today can be a day of pain. We have some here that have wanted to be moms, and. And couldn't be, and that hasn't happened for you. So there's so many emotions, and and whenever I've preached on Mother's Day, it never fails. I'll get a Facebook message, or I'll get an email, or a text, and say, "Well, don't forget to talk to this group, and please make sure you speak to this group." And it's why a lot of preachers avoid Mother's Day, and just go on with the series. And and we could have done that. We're in the middle of a teaching series, but I was thinking of all. I, I don't know. I guess I was in tune to all the emotions this year. And I thought to myself, you know, less important than what I say on Mother's Day is what would Jesus say on Mother's Day? And I've been meditating on that for a few weeks, and it's taken the pressure off of me because if you don't look like what I say, uh, don't rough up the help, take it up with the boss, okay? <laughs> that, that's, that's my cover. Um, it's good to know how Mother's Day started. Just a real quick little brief history. Some of you know this. But in 1914, uh, President then Woodrow Wilson, acting on an act of Congress, declared that Mother's Day would be a national holiday and observed the second uh, Sunday in May every single year. Um, this was the result, really, of people think of one woman's camp, uh, campaign. Her name was Anna Jarvis. Uh, Anna Jarvis had lobbied for years and years that there would be a day honoring mothers. But she wasn't the beginning of it. Actually, it was mothers in 1860 in our country during the Civil War that started to reach out to each other across North and South because they were so so many of their you know, children were dying. And they said, maybe there's something moms can do to heal our nation and to end this war. And they started meeting in small groups and in mostly in churches across America. And it was Anna Jarvis's mom, Ann Jarvis, who was a leading figure in that. And they they, they, they began to, uh, to try to figure that out. And so Anna Jarvis in 1905, when Ann, her mother, died, uh, she was in great grief. She uh, was not a mother herself. It's very interesting to me that the woman who was the instrument to create Mother's Day was never physically a mother of children which reminds all of us that being a mom is a lot more to do than having actual kids and many of us need to live out that call to be moms and dads and brothers and aunts and sisters and uncles to others but Anna lobbied congress and in 1908 she had the first mother's day uh, by she sent five hundred carnations to her mom's church in West Virginia. And the very first Mother's Day was celebrated in a Methodist church in West Virginia. I'm a Methodist preacher. Uh, we're kind of a Methodist church. About a third of our people know that. Um, but, but I love that movement. And so, yeah, it's, it's the best movement. It's the worst movement in the world except for all the other ones. But it began that, that way, and that's why when you got carnation today, it wasn't haphazard. It it was out of the original gift. And my mom used to say to us kids, and it was kind of a joke, but not totally a joke. She said, give me my flowers while I'm living. (laughs) And so that's what Anna Jarvis did. She began to say, let's honor moms and grandmothers and church mothers and those doing that hard work. Let's honor them while they're living. And she um, began to crusade every state in the union. Most of the male politicians blew her off, no surprise there. But she was persistent, and by uh, 1914, every state in the Union had a day set aside to celebrate moms, and it became Mother's Day. And since that time, 40 countries across our planet uh, celebrate Mother's Day as a national holiday. That's just a little background. Uh, Some contemporary background, I was interested to learn that the National Restaurant Association reports that Mother's Day is the biggest day of the year for restaurants. It is, right? Anybody ever had brunch at W over in Lake? was a really nice brunch. Two of us, good. Um, it is expensive, um, but, I, you know, if you want to have brunch at W on Mother's Day, you better reserve today for 2024, True story. I was there one year when it was in my 20 years in Cleveland. We had a wonderful brunch. And the waiter came over after, and he says, would you like to make reservations for next year's Mother's Day? I said, well, I'd kind of like to think about it. We'd like to travel around. I said, when do you usually fill up? He said, in about four weeks. So number one day of restaurants in America. Um, Forbes magazine not- noted that Mother's Day is the Super Bowl for florists. It's the number one day in America for florists, exceeding, to my surprise, even Valentine's Day. Hallmark notes that Mother's Day is the second largest gift-giving day after Christmas. I know I got a bunch of you in trouble. Me too. Um, uh, They also report it's number three uh, holiday for greeting cards, except in Hispanic communities where it's number one. More... Green cards in Hispanic uh, communities for Mother's Day, even then Valentine's Day or Christmas, right? I mean, so you ask yourself, why do we need a day to celebrate moms? Well, I'm thankful there's a day to celebrate dads too, but it's way down on those lists, man. It doesn't even crack the top 15 in any of them, right? But why do we need a day for moms? And I'm glad moms get to do um, uh, partly because um, being a mom is hard work. Yeah, you know that. The other is because they gave us birth. Without our moms, we wouldn't be here. That's why I chuckle whenever you see some talking head on you know, on e- economic news or something saying, I'm a self-made man. I said, really, do you have a belly button? Uh, no such thing. If, 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 I'm waiting, I'll meet the self-made person will be the one person that never had a belly button. We, we honor moms because they're here. Uh, here's something I've been conscious of as I was doing research this week, we honor moms because moms are pretty hard on themselves. They really are. I came across something reading psychological or psychology um, uh, magazines and websites and stuff as I was researching for this sermon. I had never heard of mom guilt. It's a big thing right now. Have you heard of that? It's in psychological circles, which mom guilt or mommy guilt. It's pretty present. And it said, you know, that it's a name given to feelings of guilt particularly to moms, but also to other caregivers regarding their care and giving with moms to their kids, with, with others to others. And I read Ellen Kolemeyer, who's a clinical psychologist, she wrote an article on this, um, and she said, I'm just going to quote, Ultimately, it stems from worries about all the shoulds parents are bombarded with, right? And anxiety about making all the best parenting choices, we're constantly giving messages about what we should be doing or what choices we should be making. And we usually get those from other parents or family members, so-called parenting experts of which there's no such thing. Okay, be honest with you. Well, who have you if you had kids or you, you have nieces, nephews, or you want to have kids, who thinks or knows they don't come with a manual, right? Yeah, they don't. And if they did come with one, they won't work on the other ones. Trust me. I had my oldest daughters here. I had Tiana. I was so happy. I was 25 years old, became a dad, didn't know what I was doing, read all the books, talked to all the people, found out they didn't know what they were doing. When I was at seminary, most of the people had strong opinions that were telling me what they're doing, didn't even have kids. So we figured it out, and I wrote my own manual. And some of it worked and some of it didn't. I thought, this is great. And then Perry came along, you know, um, the following year when we were at seminary, and I said, great, I pulled out my Tiana manual. I tried to do the stuff that worked. None of it worked. And some of the stuff that didn't work, worked. And I said, well, maybe it's a, maybe it's a daughter-son thing. So Matthew then came along, uh, who was on stage here leading worship, love this kid, uh, my youngest. And he, uh, he came along four years after Perry, and I said, I got this. I got the son manual. And I tried everything that worked on Perry and Tiana, and none of it worked on him. I tried everything that didn't work on Tiana and Perry, and none of it worked on him. I had to go back and start over. But parents feel this guilt, especially moms and mom guilt, because they get people that tell them, and, and worse yet, they post on social media, right? And, and they, they show these things. And so this psychologist said, if you have people that are posting, they're your friends, and they're posting on social media, and they're, it's oppressing you because they look like you're a perfect parent, unfriend them quickly, because it's not true anyways, Right? And and we're exasperated by all these comparisons and, and all these other things. And feelings occur when parents feel, especially moms, they're not meeting their child's needs. They're not fulfilling their role as a good mom. Constantly worried about getting everything right. And Dr. Evelyn said this can trigger feelings of guilt, stress, depression, or even rage. We've seen some of those stories in the news, haven't we? parents over over the edge an unrealistic idea of a perfect mom contributes to feelings like you aren't living up to expectations but whose expectations are those god's or yours so what would jesus say to moms on mothers day first thing i say i think jesus would talk about forgiveness learning how to forgive ourselves learning how to forgive our parents learning how to forgive our children, learning how to forgive others. And that's why I love this story. The only story on Mother's Day, Flora read before us, but it's the only story we have from Jesus' childhood. The only stories we have other than this one story is from when Jesus was an infant, a baby, a toddler, and then when he was 30. That's the only stories we have. But we have this story of his mom and his dad and Jesus when he was 12. Now, this story has been very sanitized, and it's usually read in a nice tone of voice. I think Florida did an amazing job putting emphasis into it, but I want to dig into this, right? Um, it's the story says, and we're just going to read it again. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, Jesus, they went up as is usual to the festival. A little background, all practicing Jews went to this festival in Jerusalem, there would have been hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem for this festival. Joseph and Mary lived uh, in Nazareth. They lived 90 miles north of Jerusalem. Some have traveled with me, you know that. Um, It would have taken them nine days to travel from Nazareth down to Jerusalem and back. It was a long journey back then. and so when the festival was ended and they were started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in a group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Now, you hear me? Nine days. So, you know, down and back. So they're a third of the way home, maybe, you know, a quarter of the way home. Right? And uh, at that moment, they started to look for him. <laughs> among their relatives and friends when they did not find him they returned to jerusalem to search for him doesn't that sound so sweet right do you know that this is the background biblical story for the movie series home alone it is i love home alone every great story comes from the greatest story and this is the bible whoever wrote home alone read this story and said, yeah, that's a great story. Let I me mean, do it. Um, and it all sounds very calm, right? But you remember when that mom realized that she had lost her son? Did she go, oh, um, he's probably okay. You know, I, I, he's probably fine. No, come on! <laughs> right, you've seen it? You know, Jesus! I'm like, gosh!" Yes! And if I put in perspective to you today, it would be like you came here on Mother's Day and you guys had a family trip planned and your kids are younger and you're going to go to New York City. You come to the 10 o'clock service, said, hey, we're going to leave. We got the minivan packed to the gills. You can barely see out the you know, rearview mirror. You can't see totally what your kids are doing in the back. And you go, and you leave Garfield today, and you're going to hit Route 80, and you get down there, and you drive about an hour, and you hit Brady's Leap Service Plaza outside of Youngstown, and you say, oh my gosh, we didn't bring any lunch, and the kids are hungry, and everybody already has to go to the bathroom, and they're saying, are we there yet? You know the story, right? So you pull off the service plaza and you say, "Hey, let's go to the bathroom and let's get a few sandwiches." And you do that. You know, back in the bathroom, off you are to New York City, and about 7 hours later you hit the Lincoln Tunnel. And mom turns on the dome light because you're going to be staying at the Waldorf Astoria, she wants to make sure everybody's okay, and she looks back and she goes, "Timmy, where's Timmy?" "Timmy! Where's Timmy? Where is your brother?" And kids do what they do best. Oh. So Headphones on, Game Boy. Get those headphones off. When was the last time you saw your brother? When was the last time you saw Timmy? Oh, about 450 miles ago at that service plaza. All right? Can you imagine what the parents are saying to each other right now? Oh, he's probably back there having a Coke. He's fine. Let me tell you what it would have been in our minivan. You did this. You were supposed to be watching him. How did you not get him back in the minivan? This is all your fault. They're losing their minds. And they didn't have cell phones back then. And they didn't have pay phones back then. I know we got millennials here going pay phone. They used to put a quarter in it. You could use your credit card. Anyhow, they had no way to call. They couldn't call the service plaza. They couldn't call the state highway patrol. The only thing they could do was turn around. This is biblically accurate. And drive the seven miles, seven hours, seven, 450 miles, seven hours back to Jerusalem. Can you imagine what they were going through? Now imagine Timmy is Jesus, the son of God. Do you think Mary heard the Holy Spirit say, Mary, you've lost the Son of God? (laughs) You didn't just lose Timmy. You lost the anointed one. You lost the Savior of the world. Remember when I told you you the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will give birth to a son? His name is Jesus and he'll save his people from his sins. You lost him. Can you imagine the anxiety that Mary's feeling? Can you imagine what they're wrestling with? The terror in the field. They finally get back to Jerusalem, and they search for him for three days and nights. And they find him. (laughs) Can you imagine how that went? Oh, Kimmy, we've missed you so much. No. What were you thinking? And it's true. Look, Look what Look what Mary said, and you have to add the tone of voice here, friends. You can't go, his mother said to him, child. <laughs> child! Why have you treated us like this? Don't you care? Listen. Your father and I have been worried. We've been looking all over for you somebody right then grabbed Jesus body the air and drug him back out to the minivan and said you're grounded forever maybe that's why we don't have any more stories of Jesus until he's 30 years old because he's been grounded for 18 years he's grounded <laughs> I cracked myself up That's going to go well on the internet. (laughs) If I know Pastor Kurt, that's going to be viral on Instagram tomorrow. But let me me say to you, that's that's accurate. That's true biblical interpretation. I don't care what you've been told in the past. Do you think that was the last time that Jesus ever frightened his mom? Do you think that's the last time Mother Mary ever yelled at him? The Blessed Virgin ever yelled at him? He's going to be 13 next year. Of course she yelled at him. Do you think she dealt with mom guilt think she didn't know it's hard work do you think when jesus was all grown up and he was living in danger every day of his life and living homeless and preaching things nobody ever heard before and he went to the cross you think mary didn't have questions you think she had mom guilt there's one place in mark chapter 3 where jesus is teaching and mary goes to find him again she's worried about him he's going to be in trouble and it said then his mothers and brothers came and standing outside, they sensed and called for him. Could you see Mary? They couldn't text back then. Tell Jesus, get off that stage. They're going to kill him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brother and your sister's outside asking for you. But this time Jesus didn't come. This time, she couldn't grab him by the ear. And I'm sure she heard him say, who are my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of God. God on my mother and my brothers. How do you think that felt for her? Do you think she was saying, I I may have failed him. I may have really messed him up so bad. God, please forgive me. Do you think she ever felt that way? How about when she was standing at the foot of the cross in agony? Of course she felt that way. Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew the pain and the hurt and the emotional life that moms and dads and Sons and daughter, we all go through. She knew it. Because I had to think, and I never thought about this before why do we have this story? One story from Jesus' childhood that none of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, none of the apostles, Paul, nobody nobody would have ever known. By the time Jesus became 30 and before he went to the cross and was resurrected, traditions say Joseph was dead. He's never mentioned again after this story, but Mary is. And after the resurrection, when they began to write down their gospels, The only explanation for why we have this story is that Mary told this story. Why did she pick this story of all her stories? Why did she pick her most embarrassing moment? I think she told this story after Jesus was gone to encourage other moms and say we've all blown it sometimes. It's hard being a mom. I remember when I lost Jesus. And, you know, moms and dads, I know I've done this uh, with my kids sometimes. Mother's Day's a good day. All days are good days to ask for forgiveness. Even as a parent, there have been times I've said to my kids, hey, you know, I, I'm sorry for the times I, I lost my temper and I blew things out of proportion. I've told them I'm sorry for the times where it probably felt like my work was more important than you were. And even though ministry is important work, you're, you're the most important thing to me. And I think uh, as kids, we ought to own up that we, we sometimes need to apologize to our moms and dads, however good or bad we think they are. But today, think about our moms. Because growing up, we never thought about moms as a person with feelings. Be honest. When you're, when you're young and you're little, your mom's an ATM machine. She's an Uber driver, right? She's a provider of food. She was the original DoorDash, she was. Long before technology figured that out, moms have been doing that for generations, right? And I think about the times, you know, when my mom's in heaven, but there were times I put my own feelings beyond hers and and wasn't thinking about that. There were times, especially when I was in high school or teenager, where I thought, gosh, she just doesn't get it. She's so corny. And it's funny, after I graduated from high school, she got smarter and smarter every year. And by the time I turned 35, she was a genius, right? We all... Need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. And forgiveness, the word for forgiveness in the Greek is a Greek word that's called ophiemse, ophiemi. And it literally means to let go, to set loose, or to hurl away. They used it in the first century for prisoners who hurled their chains away. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to let loose? What do you need to hurl away this Mother's Day? Jesus, you know, I think Mother Mary. Is telling us this story to tell moms and all of us, quit being so hard on yourself. God has forgiven you. Now you start working on forgiving yourself. I think Jesus would talk a lot about forgiveness because there's a lot of grief and guilt and pain and anger and resentment that days like this can stir up. And how would Jesus deal with that hurt and that anger? I think Jesus would tell stories, especially to people who are hurting. I think he would tell stories about other women. We have women in this church. You know, um, it, it's, I think it's one out of every eight couples in the United States deal with infertility. We have 400 to 450 families here. Um, so by math, that says we might have 50 to 60 families or want to have kids in camp. What would Jesus say to that? he tells stories about biblical heroes, Sarah, Hannah, Leah, who struggled with infertility. Sarah struggled with it all her life. Yeah, we remember that in her 90s, God did a miracle and she had a child. But I think we get too hung up on the miracles because most don't get those. I think the Bible was telling us that these heroes dealt with infertility because a lot of people deal with infertility. I think you would think about moms today who are, who are very oppressed, moms who are suffering under this congressional fighting and all this stupid stuff. And he might tell them about Hagar. You know, Hagar, the foreigner, the slave, who was by definition raped by Abraham and made pregnant, and then Abraham cast her out in the Judean wilderness and left her there to die? Because that's what powerful people sometimes do. And they're usually men. And, and, but God says, hey, God heard Hagar, and he provided a well for her and her child in the wilderness, reminding us that God is always on the side of those who are hurting and oppressed by people in power. Maybe he'd have done a Bible study about Anna, Anna the prophet who was at the temple. She was keeping the light, the candles lit. Anna was never a physical mom. Uh, she was 77 years old when she got married, and her husband died when she was 84. But it said all her life she spent time in the temple, fasting and fasting and praying. And when Mary and Joseph show up, it's a story earlier in Luke, and they're presenting the baby Jesus at the temple to be dedicated. And this is a young; these are young teenagers. They're scared to death. They're not even married yet. And Herod wants to kill them. And they're dirt poor. Oh, where does that say that in the Bible? It said they took an offering of two turtle doves. If you read the Jewish law, you could not offer two turtle doves instead of a lamb or a goat unless you were way, way, way below the poverty line. And Anna did what? She ministered to these kids. And she became a mom to them, a spiritual mom. And she told them about God's plans for Jesus. I think Jesus would tell stories beautiful stories I think he wouldn't pontificate he would finally say to them I am with you I'm with you I, I, I I'm not gonna lecture you I want to comfort you and maybe he'd rescue us from some real bad theology because sometimes preachers like me and faith Christians like you sometimes we're really bad counselors and we mean to be helpful and we end up being hurtful and I don't want to do that today um, I, You know, we say things sometimes that sound pious, but they're really inappropriate. They're kind of half-truths. They're not all the truth, there's a little truth in them. Because I'm teaching a doctoral class at a seminary now, I started being, I'm in Zoom chats with other seminary professors, and it's, it's good to be around young professors, because I'm an old, old, uh, when you pass gas, I'm that old thing. Um, I don't wanna say it, I'm trying to keep my job. Um, but I don't know if that's a bad word or not. My kids said, you made up so many words for that word. That's another story. Um, But I met a young woman named Kate Bowler. She teaches at Duke Theological Seminary. Kate is uh, um, about 44 right now, been teaching a PhD. She's been teaching there since she was in her early 30s, written some great books. And at the age of 35, while she was teaching at Duke, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And she had a young son named Luke and her husband, and uh, thankfully, I just told you, this is nine years later. Kate's in full remission, and she's a cancer survivor and teaching every day. Um, but, but she wrote a book about her time, and I went out and purchased it after meeting her, and I read it. And it was about her memoir going through that journey and people of faith. She teaches at a seminary who try to be helpful, and they're so daggone hurtful. And her, you know what the title of her book was? Everything Happens for a Reason in Other Lies I've Loved. I love that everything happens for a reason and other lives I love right and she talked about these half truths that people throw around you know that people who are going through problems or struggles or loss of a child and people come up and say well you know it's God's will well that's helpful right or or you know people who want to have a child but can't and people say up, well you know when God closes a door he opens a window and it's half truths but if you're hurting how do you hear that so God closed the door in my life and I go through this devastation of not being able to have a child, right? And my favorite thing she wrote in the book, she said, I became certain that when I died, some beautiful moron would tell my husband that God needed an angel because of course, God is sadistic like that. I don't think God, Jesus would say any of those pious things. I think he'd just say to us, I know that you're hurting I didn't want this for you, but I'm going to walk with you through it. I'm here with you, and I, I, I want to help you carry this thing. And I'll ne- never leave you or forsake you. And we're in a world right now where our bodies don't always go work right, and people don't always act right, and things don't always go right. But this world is not all there is. And I go to prepare a place for you, but even in this world, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. The last thing I want to say, and I'm just going to take maybe two minutes over my time, um, because it's National Restaurant Day, and and I got reservations too. Um, (laughs) Hey, come on, man. Mother Mary was human. So am I. Um, I think Jesus would say to moms, there's important work for us to do. And moms all over the world on the internet are going, yeah, thanks, Chip. That's really helpful. More work. For us to do i'm not talking about housework i'm not talking about schoolwork. i'm not talking about homework i'm not talking about busy work i should have said we have some very holy work to do because one of the great things about moms and i think also of dads um we're to model the love of our heavenly parent the love of god and we talk about god as father an awful lot right we're taught to pray our father who art in heaven that's true god reveals God's self as father and son Um, And really, he didn't say, Jesus said, didn't say, pray our father. He said, pray Abba, which is closer to daddy, or what I hope my little granddaughter calls me, Papa. Um, But Jesus reminds us, I think, and will remind us on Mother's Day, that there's many, many, many times in the Bible that God has referred to his mother, many, and talks about the maternal side of God. My very first Mother's Day sermon here, when I showed up, um, I, my wife said I have the spiritual gift of irritation, so I just go for it. Um, but I didn't know folk that well, but I, my, my opening Mother's Day sermon was, is it okay to call God mom? Now, that was a little controversial on four, Um, and there were some people who kind of, oh, you know, what's he doing? And I went through it and, uh, and I got some emails and I got some calls, but I agree with Steve Jobs. If you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader, go sell ice cream, all right? And so I listened for God. I take my marching orders for God. And I went through the scriptures, all the places they talk about God being a mom. We're just going to battery through a few for you right now. Hosea, uh, God says this. uh, It was I who taught Israel to walk. I who took them up in my arms. But they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness. You know what that word cord is in Hebrew? Umbilical cord. It was I who led them with umbilical cords of human hinders, with bands of love. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. Who does that sound like? Later in Hosea, God says he's like a mother bear. Uh, in Deuteronomy, God says he's like a, a mother eagle who stirs up the nest, who, who hovers over its youngs, who spreads out her wings to catch you when you fall. Later in Deuteronomy, God says, you are unmindful the rock that bore you. You forget the God who gave you birth, right? In Isaiah 66, God says this, as a comforting mother, as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. It's all through the Bible. Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion to the wild child of her womb? Even though these forget, I will not forget you. And later in Isaiah For a long time i've held my peace i've kept myself still and restrained myself now i'll cry out like a woman in labor are you hearing it and jesus when he went to jerusalem famously said what just as a mother hen gathers her brood under her wings i want to gather you so moms we got work to do dads we do too but moms i don't want to put all the heat on you but barna did a recent survey about Young people, young adults, and teenagers who are literally practicing their faith, and they were asked, whose faith influenced you the most? The majority of people responded, My mom. Practicing Christian teens who were active in churches and youth groups were active, asked, Who gives you spiritual guidance? Who do you pray with together the majority moms who do you discuss God with 70% moms who do you discuss the Bible with 71% moms who helps you respond to questions of faith 72% moms who encourages you to uh, be a person of worship and attend church and some of you know that who are here today 80% say moms we need to reflect the love of God let me close with this story I read one this year that made me so happy uh, I was about a mom named Judy O'Connor. Now, many moms are going to graduation services this time of year, and grandmoms and that, uh, colleges or high schools or whatever. I was at a graduation service yesterday, three and a half hours at Cleveland State. No, I'm not bitter. Um, but it's my soon-to-be uh, daughter-in-law. Uh, she's Matthew, who's leading worship here, uh, the guy in the middle who looks just like me. Um, handsome as i all get out. Thank God for his mom. Um, but they're, they're gonna get married in September and Maja was graduating. And uh, the two of them are, are moving to Denver at the end of this month. Today's Matt's last day for a while anyways on stage. And I'm not handling it very well. Now had those two been the one that had my granddaughter right now, there would be a problem. <laughs> you would wonder where Chip is and find out on the news there's the greatest manhunt in the history of the United States searching for a grandfather who, who was a pastor who abducted his granddaughter, last seen in the Rocky Mountains outside of Alberta, Canada. But anyhow, I'm not handling it that bad, but I'm handling bad. But this Judy O'Connor went to the graduation ceremonies for her son, Martin, who had gotten an MBA from Chapman University. And as Martin was going across um, to g- receive his award, um, the, uh, the university announced that they were giving his mom Judy O'Connor, an MBA as well. You see, her son Marty's a quadriplegic. He could not take his notes in class during studying for his MBA, so Judy's mom attended every class with him and took notes. At that ceremony, Judy willed Marty across the stage so he could receive his diploma. The article says a choked up graduation announcer said the school's faculty, administrators, and board of trustees had decided to give her an MBA. An idea that her son had originally spot up and presented to them. The Los Angeles Times reported a stunned but composed Judy O'Connor blew a kiss to the crowd, which gave her a standing ovation. You see, Judy had been living in Florida when Marty fell down a, a flight of stairs. So she moved to South Carolina to help her son earn his MBA. That's a mom that shows us the heart of God. That's a mom that shows us the heart of God who in Jesus says, I will always be with you. Like a mother hen, I'll gather you up. I will lead you with umbilical cords of kindness. I will lift you up like an eagle. When you fall, I will catch you and I'll carry you in my everlasting hands and arms. So moms, dads, all of us, listen to Mother Mary Confessor's halts. but listen to her remind us that we have holy work to do. But don't just take that from a preacher. Let's close as the band's gonna lead us out taking it from some other moms.